Hi, and welcome to the Radius Church Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you're interested in finding out more information about Radius Church, please check us out on our website, radiuschurch.tv. So if you were here last week, or if you've already listened to part number one, I started with this story uh, that in 2011, uh, I sank in for the first time really ever in my life. Uh, I sank into a pretty deep depression. Um, um, and it was something worse than a bad day or feeling sad or feeling blue. Next week, I'm going to talk about a little bit of the differences between uh, the word sad is actually a, a diagnosis, uh, and we'll talk about that, and feeling blue, that's something totally separate. And so there's a lot of different categories. But I really, for the first time in my life, fell into a depression And it was pretty severe. And before that in my life, I didn't really have a lot of empathy for people that were going through depression. I was always of the cloth that said, (laughs) if you're having a bad day, you you know, you woke up on the wrong side of the bed, go back and get in bed and get out on the other side. So how many know that's not very empathetic? How many know that, right? And and so I didn't really have that because I didn't get it until I went through it. And there's, there's this feeling of hopelessness when you really understand uh, depression. What what culminated? There was a couple events that began the process of me coming out of that, and one of them was right in the middle of all that I explained to you last week. I made a trip back to Michigan, and when I was there, I went to my old church, the church that I told you that the pastor that followed me had a moral failure. They also had an economy, uh, just devastation in Detroit. It was one of the worst economy collapses around the nation, and that church ended up closing up. And there's a remnant of them that are still uh, meeting and still have a church. But So I drove to that building. My wife and I, we spent 13 years there, and I drove to that campus where you've heard me talk about it before. But if, if you could try to get into the humanity part of this, I pulled into that parking lot where we had spent most of our ministry life up to that point, where our kids grew up, and I drove into that parking lot and it was pitch black. There wasn't a light on, there wasn't a parking lot light on, there wasn't a security light on. The windows all over the entire campus were boarded up, weeds were growing up through the parking lot. We spent over a million dollars just on our parking lot so to see weeds growing up through the asphalt that we raised money. And I drove over to the drug rehab center closed up that used to be full of life and young ladies finding deliverance in Christ. It was closed up. I drove over by the cafe that used to be full of life, the children's area, the gym and the pool and the new auditorium, the 1,500-seat auditorium that we had built, boarded up, totally boarded, spooky, creepy, looked like ghost town. I sat in the back parking lot without a light on in my car. It was one of those nasty, wet, fall nights like we have in Michigan, just cold, wind-blowing, kind of like it's getting here, you know, it's coming. And, and, and I was just at the bottom of the barrel. And I complained to God. Have you ever complained to God and called it prayer? Anybody besides me? Thank you. One guy. Appreciate it. Okay, there we go. And, and I was just complaining like, like, God, how could this happen? And, you know, you said you would build your church. And you know, how many know you're in a bad place when you start quoting Scripture to God? 
You, you know what I'm talking about? God, don't you know your word says, you know, you might be a preacher if you quote scripture to God. You know what I'm saying? And I mean, I was just in a bad place. And I felt God put this on my heart. It's one of those times that I just really felt him talk to me. And I, I felt the Holy Spirit drop this verse in my heart. It said, if the Lord's, unless the Lord builds a house, they that labor, labor in vain. I said, but how could this happen? And I felt the Lord put on my heart, this way you built it. But if you'll do it again, and you'll let me build it, it will sustain no matter what comes against it. That began the process of my healing. From that moment, I went into some counseling, and I just began to redefine what ministry looked like for me. The measuring sticks that I started using for uh, what I thought successful were, they began to change. And this church is a result of some of those very dark painful times and i'll give you one simple one i used to measure success by how many people showed up on the weekend we had count how many people were in the crowd and all that and i got to realize and through this process it's not how many people show up on the weekend but how many know it's about how many people get on the journey and keep taking one step closer to christ week in and week out and week in and week out and they're being transformed by christ how many know what i'm saying right and so this church is a result of some of those in fact one of the greatest ways to come out of depression or really one of the greatest ways just to have a healthy life but i'll keep it related to our message on soul care i think one of the greatest ways to come out of depression are written right on this wall right over here I think the way that you come out of discouragement and the way you come out of depression is number one, know God. I think, what, see, that was a good place for amen and like a little louder because remember what the deal we made before I started? Okay, I think we ought to know God and that will help us. There you go. And, and I think if we can, and, and most of the time people are coming to know God through the weekend services. And, and I think that we can help people come out of bad days and bad habits and bad lives and deep depression. Not only when we know God, but number two, when we help them find freedom. Come on, people are looking for freedom. And how many know there's a lot of people looking for freedom in a lot of wrong ways? I think people, they don't even know it, but those guys that are over there tonight cooking all kind of ribs and having brisket and all that, what they might not even recognize is we're helping them find freedom because we're helping them find friendship and discipleship happens through relationship and discipleship is what brings freedom into our lives. Come on, how many know we're kind of we're sneaky that way? How many know what I'm talking about? Those guys think it's about ribs. They have no clue. Us guys, we're just blind. Lead us to the ribs. You know what I'm talking about, right? I think we can help people get out of depression when we help people discover their purpose because people are looking for a purpose and I don't know about you but people want a purpose that is bigger than them how many want a purpose that is bigger than paying some bills come on everybody uh, and discovering a purpose will help you do that Janessa talked about it in our next steps and I think people can break out of depression when they know that they can make a difference come on God created us every one of us can infect and impact individual's life how many were here on serve day remember the feeling you got on serve day when we're out there putting shoes on people and giving groceries to people and doing chores around town and in this place this place was electric there if you had depression during that time it was on the shelf for a moment because you were knowing god you were finding freedom you were discovering purpose and you were making a difference and that's who god has called us to be come on everybody 
everybody. And see, so what we want you to do is we want you to get on the journey with us. We don't, I'm glad that you show up for the weekend. I really am, because that's part of the journey. But our goal, I, I ask our team this every once in a while, do you know what our goal is? And everybody says, to lead people to Christ. And I know that's the church answer to say. But our goal is to get you to come back again. And to come back again. And to come back more frequently. And come back again. Because you don't eat one meal in your life to survive. You don't even eat one meal a month to survive. You don't even eat one meal a week to survive. You don't even eat one meal a day to survive. Come on now. But yet somehow spiritually we think if whenever we get to it, we'll be spiritually healthy. No, we want you to come back. We want you to be on the journey with us. One of the most frustrating things that I deal with as a pastor, you, can I vent on you guys just a little bit? Okay, I'm going to vent on. One of my, you want to just hear what I'm just ticked off about? Well, here goes, all right. One of the things that kind of frustrates me, but not frustrates in a mad way, it kind of frustrates me in a sad way, is that, that when, when somebody in the church that's a part of the body of Christ is going through a crisis, and, 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 and you are now in a crisis, you're in emergency, but you haven't been on the journey. Church is just something kind of on the back burner. You know, if I'm not too tired on Sunday morning, I'll come. If I don't have a hundred other things to do, I might come. If it's, you know, if, if I'm bored, if it's raining out, you know, and I can't do anything else, then I'll come. And so we see you like once a month. And I'm glad for the once a month we do see those of you that come once a month. But then when a crisis hits your life and you're in an emergency and you reach out to the church, we're going to do our best to be there. And we're going to try to help you through the crisis. But the challenge and the frustration to me is, man, if you would have just been on the journey. There's so many times I want to say, man, you just missed the series that we just dealt with this for six weeks and you just showed up. If you'd have been on the journey. It's like when you show up to the gym in January and you want want the trainer at the gym to whip you into shape in one workout in 45 minutes so you can lose 20 pounds and fit into that suit or that skirt so that you can go to your class reunion how many know it takes more than one workout right everybody and so I'm done venting see too often we settle for relief rather than restoration well we want a relief and some of the things we use for relief aren't necessarily bad, but they're temporary where restoration. God wants to restore our soul. And we've become a society, we just want relief for our soul. Relief for our, our, our broken emotion, our sad emotion, our mad emotion. But God wants to reconstruct. David said, He restores my soul. So, the depression, friends, depression is a bigger pandemic than COVID, right? Last week, we dove into the life of Elijah, who is one of the greatest prophets that ever lived. And yet, after this great showdown he had with all these uh, uh, false prophets, we find him immediately in such deep depression that he's asking the Lord to take his life. He's basically suicidal. Last week, we spent the entirety of our time talking about what bring, how he got into depression from a biblical standpoint. I want, I want to just throw some other things out there for you to consider so that you are keenly aware of those in your life 
that might be facing depression and what might be the things that have brought them on. So let's look at them. I'll just fly through these. If you want to take a picture of them, good. Number one is death or a serious illness of someone close. I know many of us experienced some of those things during COVID. I know I did. We lost friends. We lost family members. And, and it was tough to go through. Number two, loss of love or attention from someone close. Number three, uh, breakups, divorce, loss of relationships. Number four, family problems, like maybe parents got divorced, as an example. Number five, um, and by the way, let, let me just go up here. The death or serious illness of someone close. Do you know that in our church, one of our life groups is grief care? Yeah, we, we provide that, which you might not know if you're not on the journey in the church, right? If you're on the journey and you're going through some of these things, we have a grief share ministry that can help you navigate through those things uh, number five is isolation loneliness maybe like a parent or, or somebody is in a nursing home number six is rejection number seven is physical verbal or sexual abuse number eight uh, is chemical or hormonal change stop right there a minute remember if you remember last week depression can come through all three parts of who we are we are made in a trinity like our Father, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He made us in His image, so I'm made up of three parts also. My body, which is what we see. And let me say this, we're not first a body with a spirit. We are first a spirit that has a body attached. Aren't you glad? Because <laughs> this old broken body is going to say, bye-bye, thank you, Jesus, all right? So we're a trinity, we're a body, we're a soul. Our soul is our emotions, Okay, sometimes depending on what translation of the Bible you read, the soul is also uh, the word heart is used in, in Scripture. Okay, so we're a body, we're a soul. Our soul is our mind, our emotions, our psyche, our moods, all those kind of things. All right, and then lastly, we are a spirit. Uh, when we are born again, our spirit comes alive. Prior to that, our spirit is dead. Okay, so so uh, depression can come through a number of things. It can come through chemical changes in our body. It could come through hormonal changes at different seasons of our lives. I'm not qualified to deal with that. Um, it can come through uh, broken emotions. I think we can help a little bit in that area. It also can come through uh, leaving a foothold open for the enemy to attack through, uh, satanic, through secret dark places in our life. I'm going to talk a lot more about that next week as we close the series up. Okay, just to keep that in mind. Number nine is, uh, number nine is substance abuse. And number ten is uh, hospitalization. So those are just some other ways that um, depression could hit. So last week we spent the time talking about what brought Elijah into depression just out of 1 Kings chapter number 19. So what I want to do this week is I want to talk about specifically the things he did to come out of the cave. Okay, I'm going to use that metaphorically. So last week we seen Elijah go into the cave, into depression, so severe that he was suicidal. But then God got a hold of his life and he gave him some things to come out of depression. All right. Now you might not think this message relates to you, but please hold on to this message. Because if you'll hold on to it, God may allow somebody to cross your path that desperately needs this message. And by the way, let me say this too. Um, 
Um, that we have a book available for you today. Uh, we give books away as often as we can. This one we're not giving away. It's for sale for $15, and it's called Out of the Cave by one of my dear friends, uh, Pastor Chris Hodges, who ch- uh, pastors the Church of the Highlands. It's available. We're only set, You can go and get it on Amazon for the same price. We're not trying to make any money off you, uh, but it's called Out of the Cave, and it's literally the story of Elijah going into depression, Elijah coming out, uh, a lot of the things we say are the same because the person that mentored me in this message many, many years ago is the same person that mentored him on this. And so we use a lot of the th- same things. And there's a couple lists in the book that I pl- flat out stole right out of the book. And uh, I would like to say he got it from me, but I got it from him, all right? Uh, and so you'll see those if you read the book. But if you or somebody you know is dealing with this, you need that book, okay? And if you need the book and you can't afford the book, Mark's not here. We'll make him pay for it, all right, everybody? And that's what he gets for eating ribs without me. All right, so let's go back to 1 Kings chapter number 19, and let's see how Elijah came out of the depression okay there's a lot of verses here you might want to have your phones ready if you didn't download the digital notes uh, because I'm sure I'll run short on time and not read the extended of all the verses so here we go he said then he lay down under a bush this was after last week he's depressed okay then he lay down under a bush and fell asleep all at once an angel touched him and said get up and eat I love that get up and eat uh, if you have certain cultures in you, my mom's Cajun, and they're, they're, the way they solve every single problem is get up and eat. <laughs> I mean, that's how they solve everything, all right? Get up and eat. He looked around, and there by his head was some bread baked over hot coals and a jar of water. He ate and drank, and then he lay down again. <laughs> so he's sleeping, he gets up and eat, then he goes back to bed. What a life, huh? Okay, then the angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, get up and eat. I mean, this is good, all right? Get up, I'm sleepy, get up and eat, go back to sleep, get up and eat. I mean, this is working out pretty good. And, and he touched him and said, get up and eat. For the journey, the journey, in other words, you're not done yet. Remember last week he wanted to die, but the angel is saying, you're not done yet. Mm-hmm. For the journey is too much for you. So, so he got up and he ate and drank, strengthened by that food. He traveled 40 days and 40 nights. Un- Man, no wonder he needed to rest, right? 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb. Where he went is very important in this story. Because Horeb in the Old Testament represents what I'm trying to say to you. He went on a 40-day journey. I want you to get on a lifetime journey so that you can get to your own Mount Horeb, the place where God is. Not where God is when you're in trouble, but what if you just walked with God all the time? Come on now. Yeah, right. Thank you, thank you for the two of you that agree. All right? Okay, so he reached Horeb. I just want you to see this. Horeb is symbolic of getting into the presence of God. Horeb in the Old Testament is kind of like where God hung out, okay? And, and we know that we don't have to be in a particular place. But how many know sometimes church is a good place to be? Because if you don't have the faith, you've got some brothers and sisters that brought some faith in the place, right? I know that God doesn't dwell in the back of a Mexican restaurant. He doesn't dwell in temples made with hands, right? With brick and mortar. But He dwells where there is faith because He's living in you and me. And when we come together, the presence of the Lord is there. Where two or three gather in my name, there I 
I shall be also. Right, everybody? Okay, so with that portion of Scripture, I'm talking fast because i got a lot to get to you. All right, everybody? Are you guys following me? Okay, so here's what he does. The, the first thing to get out of depression, number one, is I want to encourage you not to ignore physical needs. Sometimes we are so busy looking for a spiritual answer that we forget there could be a physical answer. Did you see what he did? He went to sleep. Then he woke him up and made him eat. Then he went to sleep again. Then he woke him up and made him eat again. What's he dealing with? Elijah is physically exhausted. He has just killed 450 false prophets, called fire down, done all kinds of things. But if he was going to get to Mount Horeb, where God was, come on, he needed some strength. Uh, I wonder how many people come to church and can't receive a breakthrough. They can't receive a blessing because you're just too tired. You're too stressed out. Your mind is not on what I'm preaching. Your mind is the 20 problems that are stressing you out right now. Hmm? I, I, I really, I wish we'd get ready for church. Now, now, some of you get ready for I wish we could get the whole church to get ready for church. How many know what I'm talking about when I say get ready for church? I'm not talking about what you wear. I'm talking about getting your heart ready. Come on. I mean, like jamming out to Hillsong on the way to church, right? I mean, putting on your favorite worship music and thinking about... Come on. You know you used to do that before you were saved. When you got ready to go to the clubs, you know you were listening to your favorite songs. Some of you on 8-track tapes, but you were listening to your favorite songs. Mm -hmm. Those of you that laughed, I can see through those masks. Uh, those of you that laughed, you were listening to your favorite song because you knew they were going to play them in the club tonight. You were, you, you were getting ready, doing your hair for when we had hair, and, and, you, and, and you had that song on. You were practicing your moves. Woo, yeah, depending what era. You know what I'm talking about, right? It'd be really cool if we would get that serious about getting ready for church. What if we practiced our moves when we came to church? Come on, like, oh, I'm going to worship the Lord like this tonight. Woo! I'm really out there now, right? Come on, I'm just saying, what if we got our hearts ready? When we walked in here, we didn't have to spend the first half of the time convincing you that it's going to be all right to be here, but we are fired up that we're in a house where people are on a journey seeking the same God. Come on, everybody, right? Come on now. Your body is not sometimes prepared for what the Spirit wants to do. The flesh is weak. Our bodies aren't ready. If you work for the body, I promise you, the body will work for you. They did this study of people. They put on this training thing, just be doing physical fitness. One group was found to be 20% fitter by doing this, these exercises and taking care of their body and eating better. But that's not the part I'm interested in. The part I'm interested in is they also scored 70% better in a test of complex decision-making. Just by eating better, getting better sleep, and having some minimal physical exercise. Puts the whole subject of Sabbath in place, doesn't it? One of the things you might not know that I do that has been a game changer in my life is I practice a Sabbath. My Sabbath is obviously not Saturday or Sunday. My Sabbath is Friday. 
And on Friday, I turn off the technology. I turn off the news. I don't pay attention to any of that. I don't write sermons. I don't even read books that I would read to write, do research for a sermon. I might read, I, I read some mystery books. I read things that are totally out of my normal routine. We watch some of our favorite shows. I hang out with my wife. We hold hands. And, and I just do whatever fires me up spiritually, whatever fuels me emotionally, my time with my wife. We eat our favorite meals. She'll go get me a steak and throw it on the grill. I eat my favorite meals. I watch my favorite shows. I listen to my favorite songs. I hang out in my favorite yard. I hold hands with my favorite gal. Come on, everybody. That's what my Sabbath looks like because we were not designed for nonstop activity. You go to the bookstore, you will find hundreds of books on how to be more productive, how to do more. I want to write a book that says how to do less. Just stop it already. Stop trying. Our brain, we were not meant to run at the speed of a computer. Right, everybody? Number two, here's the second thing that happened in Elijah's life. He had a God encounter. If you're fighting discouragement or depression, I want to encourage you to have a God encounter. Now, I understand something. This is hard. How many know it's hard to praise God when you're in depression? Come on, can we be real? It's hard to start singing when you just don't feel like it. It's hard to read your Bible when you can't find your Bible. You, you know what I'm talking about? It's hard to pray when you feel like God is a million miles away. Does anybody understand what I'm saying? But that's why the Bible says we have to offer up a sacrifice of praise did you know you're more likely to act yourself into feeling than feel yourself into acting come on just turn on some pra it's easy now we got youtube we got we, we have a channel on our web page all the songs we do here are right on our app you can just just turn it on turn off the news turn on worship music have an encounter with god if you try to move next to him he'll move next to you the bible says if you draw close to me he'll draw close to you come on just turn on the worship and just at least get your toe going. If the rest of your body won't cooperate, just woohoo uh, and, and just fake it if you have to. Come on, just start telling them, I love you, Lord, and start forcing yourself to say what you're grateful for and how good God is. Have a God encounter. You, and this is one of the reasons you need a real commitment to a church. Because when you don't feel like it, you need to get around brothers and sisters in the Lord that will carry you, help set an atmosphere, help set a climate, help build your faith. Come on. How many know there's faith that shows up? Come on. And, there, and sometimes I don't have the faith, so I'm glad you showed up to bring some faith where I'm weak in my faith right now. Is this making sense to anybody, right? We, it's funny because Corey, my overseer, Craig, one of my overseers, and I all shared this statistic that said in the year 2020, during the pandemic, the only people that uh, were on an emotional positive high out of 2020, the only people, the only ones, not people that went to church once a month, not Democrats or Republicans, not rich or poor, not black or white. The only people that showed increase in their emotional health was people that were in church every single week. First mm. Kings 19, 9 through 12 is the scripture support behind this. Look at it. There he went into a cave and he spent the night. And the word of the Lord came to him. Do you know a word of the Lord can just change everything? Just one word from God can change everything. Everything. Is anybody hearing this? 
One encounter with God. One, And you know what? The Word of the Lord. Sometimes we're looking for the Word of the Lord, some big giant boom from heaven. Sometimes the Word of the Lord happens in this old-fashioned thing called church. Sometimes the Word of the Lord might happen from somebody you sit next to. Sometimes the Word of the Lord might come from the sermon you hear. Sometimes the Word of the Lord might happen in the life group you're in. That's why you got to be on the journey, everybody. I was over there at the barbecue today, and something happened between me and one of the guys there that he's been going through something really tough. And, it, and, and if he would have came to me for an appointment, I probably couldn't have said what I said then, and he might not have heard it in a sermon. But because we organically connected, because we were committed to the life cycle of the church, spontaneously and organically, a, a, a conversation started that brought some major breakthrough and healing to that brother. Why? Because he's on the journey, and God honors the journey. Come on now, right? All right, uh, what was I going to read? Well, take that picture and read that, okay? Because I Well, let me just read a little bit more. Go to the next uh, uh, portion. Of, uh, the Lord said, watch this, he's having an encounter with God. The Lord said, go out. And stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord. The presence of the Lord. Man. For the Lord is about to pass by. Hey, hey, what, what, what if? What if? Can, can you just imagine with me for a minute? What if when we gathered in this place, the Lord is about to pass by? Hey, fire up that song. Let's sing grace to grace. Here's why. Because the Lord is about to pass by. I bet we had set our coffees down. I bet we had sing our loudest. I bet the Lord is about to pass by. Come on, everybody. I think it would change our whole concept. The Lord is about to pass by. And then Elijah goes into this whole frenzy about complaining and all this. And watch this. Let me just read some. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks. That's what the presence of God will do. And shattered the rocks. Watch this, though. Um, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. Wow. Hmm. See, he was looking for his breakthrough, just like so many of us. He was looking for the breakthrough in earth, wind, and fire. You know what I'm talking about, right? Not that earth, wind, and fire, okay? So many times we're looking for breakthrough and whoo, the big. But he said he came through in a gentle whisper. I often wondered, why is that? It's because God wants us to be close enough that we, we can hear him when he's whispering. A gentle whisper is like, I don't want this to sound weird, but it's like pillow talk. It's like intimate talk. It's for people that are real close. It's private. It's intimate. It's just between you and God. That's how he wants to speak to us. He don't always want to have to get our attention with the earth and the wind and the fire. That's why the psalmist said in chapter 46, be still and know that I am God. And can I say this before we get off this point? Can I tell you, friends, listen to me. Praise is your secret weapon. The devil can attack you, and if you keep praising him in the middle of all the hell that's going on around you, the devil will get to It's like praise ought to be in your medicine cabinet. When you're depressed, you ought to just open that up, and when you don't feel out, 
Pull out your favorite song. Pull out your favorite verse. Pull out your favorite sermon. Pull out your favorite notes. Come on, somebody. And go to, it's your medicine cabinet in God. Just go to praising Him. And we sing it around. This is how I fight my battles. How? By praising God. Let me say it this way. Worship is war. And if you need, there is a war going on. That's why you're in depression. And the way you fight that war is to get up and praise God. All through Scripture, there are major victories that are won when the people of God started worshiping God. Come on. Paul and Silas are in prison, everybody below the prison in the sewage of Rome and Paul tells Silas let's praise him can you imagine what a pain Paul was and they start praising him the Bible says the gates of the prison began to rattle and they were released I submit that God didn't come to them but for one reason he wasn't shaking the prison walls to get them out he was shaking the prison walls because the Bible says if we'll lift him up he will inhabit the praises of his people God was coming to the problem. He wasn't trying to solve the problem. He was trying to get to where the problem was. And you can still have the problem, but if you'll praise Him and God shows up in the problem, the problem looks different. Come on, I'm preaching better than you're listening tonight. Right? He'll come right where you are. Listen, if my wife calls me in the middle of the day and says, Hey, babe, just thinking about you. I will jump in my car right now. Larry, I don't care what we were talking about. I got to go. I will run every red light in town. I will come sliding into my driveway. What's up, girl? I heard you say, babe, come on now. Do you know that's how God is? If we tell him how awesome he is, he will break every demon's back in hell to get to right where you're at. Start praising him, somebody. Just start praising him when you don't feel like it. I love Psalms chapter number 73 that says this. When I tried to understand all this, it troubled me deeply. There's depression. Till I entered the sanctuary of God, then I understood. Until I got into His presence. Right, everyone? Come on now. Number three. The third thing that Elijah did that we need to do is take inventory of where we're at. Take an honest look. Where am I? Not only where am I, but where do I want to be? I'm going to say it again. Not only where am I, who do I want to be? What attitude do I want to have? Who do I want to be? I think our generation has an identity crisis. I think the enemy has ripped off our identities. I think social media has added to that. We've lost our identity and what everybody else thinks about us. We've lost our identity because many of us have lost our fathers, and we get our identity through our father. And the devil knows that your identity is the doorway to your destiny, so he's doing everything he can to mess you up. But you've got to take inventory of where you're at and where you need to be and who God has called you to be. And you've got to take an honest look at where you're at. Right? Is that making sense? Let me show it to you in the Scripture. 1 Kings chapter number 19. Then Elijah heard, and he pulled his cloak over his face. Look at him getting private. And he went out, and he stood at the mouth of the cave. Then the voice of the Lord, or a voice said to him, What are you doing here? He had to shut out everything else. He got under his cloak. He got by himself. And he had to evaluate, What am I doing here? How did I get here? Why am I here? And where do I want to be? The rest of those verses will kind of tell some of that picture a little bit to you. 
um, the same year in 2011 that I told you I went to counseling, I'd been, I, I, I'm just going to estimate real quick, I'd been preaching for over 25 years at that point. And when I went to counseling, I, I walked into the counseling office, I asked my wife to go with me, and I didn't even know why I was showing up. It was really weird when they asked me, well, why are you coming, and what's the deal? I sat down with the counselor the first day, and he was an 80-something-year-old real grandpa figure, which is exactly what I needed. And, 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 and they began to ask some routine questions, and, and I, I, had to, I felt stupid for being there because it was like, well, I didn't have like an addiction. Uh, I, I hadn't had an affair, and I wasn't addicted to alcohol. I wasn't addicted to pornography. My marriage wasn't in trouble. Uh, I, I didn't really know what to say. And so I think the counselor, he, 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 he was used to having an identifiable problem. I said, look, I got problems. I just don't know what they are, which is my biggest problem. How many know what I'm talking about, right? And I think it was the third visit of him asking multiple questions. My wife and I were sitting next to each other. I've shared this story here before, but I think it's worth telling again. He opened a children's Bible. He took the children's Bible, he turned to a specific picture, and he set it down at our feet, and he pointed at it, and he said, Ken, I want you to tell me what that picture is. Well, it happened to be a picture of Jesus being baptized, and the sky was opening, and the dove was coming out of heaven. And, and I told him the story. I told him where it was found in Matthew chapter 3. This is what happened. He said, that's good, but I, want, I really want to know what the story is saying. I said, well, this is the story where the heaven opens and God says to his son, this is my son um, wh whom, whom, whom I love. And, uh, or he said, I, I said, whom I'm well pleased. And, and he said, well, that's good. And the third time he asked me to tell what it was, I didn't know. And I got irritated. I said, I don't know. You tell me. And he opens his Bible from behind his desk and he reads the verse. He said, Ken, three times you told me what that picture meant. And all three times you left out one of the biggest keys in that verse. Every time you said, God said, this is my son who I'm well pleased. But what you forgot to say and what you forgot to quote is this is my beloved son. This is my son whom I love. And with him I am well pleased. What was interesting is Jesus hadn't even started his ministry. He hadn't done nothing yet, but God was pleased with him. Not for the things that he had done but for the man that he was. And I had been, I, I had an explosion breakthrough moment right there. I had inventory of myself and I had a God encounter because I'd been preaching to thousands of people. I stood on stages with thousands of people telling them how much God loved them, but I didn't have a firsthand revelation that God loved me. I was still trying to do enough for God to love me. And when he read that verse, I broke and that was the beginning of my healing. But I had to take personal inventory. And I had to realize, man, I got some issues. Come on, can anybody relate? To the issues, that is. And that's why I want you in church. That's why I get fired up. That's why I yell and get all, I start bucking and snorting up here. Because I want you to be in church. Not because I need to add another service. I want you to be in church so I can remind you that where you're at, it's not where you got to stay. Come on, you can come out of the cave, everybody. I got to end. Here, let's do number four. The fourth thing that Elijah did was that he picked up a godly assignment. Now, I'm going to read this one to you. I'm going to slow down on this. 
In 1 Kings 19, as you continue to read this chapter, it said, The Lord said to him, Go back the way you came. Oh, I wanted to preach that verse so bad, but I got so much other thing. Go back. Somewhere we went wrong. Somewhere it started. Somewhere something happened. Somewhere the depression, the discouragement, somewhere it started. He's saying, go back to that fork. Go back to that crossroad. Go back to... Oftentimes when, when we meet with couples, which we don't hardly do anymore, but their marriage would be a wreck. I, I would always ask, start off this question by, by saying, tell me the time you were happy. Tell me the time that, why did you guys get married? What did you like about him? What did you love about her? What, what was the, go back the way you came. Get back to doing the things that you used to do. I know that's an oversimplification for those, perhaps, that, that are dealing with something a little bit deeper. But let's go on and see what it says. Go back the way you came and go to the desert of Damascus. Now watch, he says when he gets there, watch this. When you get there, anoint Hazel, king of Aram. Also, watch what he's telling him. I want you, basically here's what he's saying. I want you to go anoint somebody. I want, hold on. I want you, let's put it in modern day. I want you to go minister to somebody. Let me put it in another way. I want you to go disciple somebody. I want you to go put your mantle on somebody so somebody else can be involved in ministry also. In other words, what he's telling him to do is I want you to go and do ministry. I have an assignment for you. Not one assignment, but I want you to go to all these guys. You can read it later. Then he gets down here and he says, and anoint Elisha. I want you to go and spend some ministry time. And I want you to anoint somebody. I want you to minister to somebody. I want you to talk to somebody. I want you to disciple somebody. I want you to impart into somebody else. He wants you to minister. Can I tell you, one of the greatest tricks you can play on the devil is when you feel the worst, give your best. Some people don't realize this. Most of the people in this room right here, you get it. But our dream teamers that make services happen, that open doors and give out groceries and make coffee and watch the kids and clean the rooms, do you know people can easily walk by them and go, man, it must be nice, they're always so happy. Some of those people that are standing at the door, opening the door with the biggest smiles on their face face, are going through some of the greatest hell you could ever imagine. But they've learned something. They've learned that when you have an assignment that is bigger than you, you need an assignment that is bigger than your problems. Come on, somebody. You need something to focus on that is bigger than the problem you're in. You need to try to make someone else's day instead of always concentrating on your day. You need to try to make somebody else smile instead of always looking at your frown. Come on. You need to do something for somebody else. It's the way God designed us. It'll bring purpose. It plays a trick on the devil and he'll leave you alone because he's sick of you helping everybody else out come on now it's finding purpose right there that we'll discover our purpose i hate to use the same illustration again but for those of you that were involved in serve day remember how man that was electric around here find a need and fill it Find a purpose. Proverbs 29, 18, it says a verse that most of us know, where there is no vision, people perish. Do you have a vision? Do you still have a purpose in your life? Um, i got to do the last one. Number five. Let's repeat. Don't ignore your physical needs. 
Some of us, that's the first thing you need to deal with right now. Number two is have a God encounter. Get alone with God. Slow your calendar down. Create, if, you, if you can't create a Sabbath, create what we call the law of first. Spend the first five minutes of your day with God. Just, just take one proverb and read it. Take one song and worship Him too. Take one Bible verse. It's the law of first, all right? Take inventory of where you're at. Number four, pick up a godly assignment. Find a need and fill it. It's real easy. Just, you don't even have to have a badge or a lanyard to do that. Come on now. And number five, invite a friend to do life with you. You can't do life alone. Why I'm so fired up about what's happening over there at that barbecue tonight? That's the biggest gathering of men that we've had since COVID has happened. And they're all over there yucking it up, high-fiving, making fun of each other, because that's guys' love language, everybody, all right? And, 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 and it, it, the, it, what they're doing is they're learning to have do life together. you got to do life together. This October, we'll be finally relaunching our small groups and our life groups. Mark told me this week that we have like 20 life groups that are launching. Come on, somebody. Uh, If you're going to be on the journey, come on, please don't be that person that gets in a crisis, but you haven't been on the journey. It's so much easier for us to be able to minister if you've been on the journey with us. Come on, everybody. Let me, let me give it to you. 1 Kings chapter number 19. So Elijah went from there, and he found Elisha. Anybody know this story at all? If you don't know this story, Elisha went on to do twice as many miracles as Elijah. Elisha went on to do some incredible things. One of the things I'm very excited about, and I hate to even announce it publicly because it's already filled up. One of the things I'm doing right now in my life is I'm pouring into some very young men young men that are just in their newlywed phases of life and young children phases of their life and pour in 35 years of ministry and 33 years of marriage and just saying, here's what I've done, here's what God's done, and pouring in. You know what? I thought this the other day. Some of those guys are like 25 and 30 years old. I thought, you know what? It could be that I don't even know it, but one of those guys might be the next pastor of Radius Church. They might be a pastor of a dream center that we open, but it's going to start because we do life together. Elijah, the great prophet that he was, he still needed somebody to do life with. Let me put it a little simpler. You still need somebody. You, You need somebody pouring into you, which I hope is what I'm doing on the weekend, but then you got to turn around and go pour into somebody else. That's what Elijah did to Elisha. Larry, I appreciate it. Tonight you asked me, you said, man, is there any way I can get your sermon notes? Because we make Bible studies out of them. Absolutely. I'll give them to you free because you came up with the idea. Anybody else that wants them, I will charge you. I'm just telling you. All right? No, I'm not. Uh, but, but yeah, go pour into somebody. If you don't need these notes for you, take them anyway and use them and go pour into somebody. And see, the Bible says we become what we gaze upon. So, you show me your friends, I'll show you who you are. You show me your friends, I'll tell you what mood you're in. You show me your friends, I'll tell you what you believe about certain things. You show me your friends, I'll just, here's a mirror. This is who you'll be in the next five years. Who are you hanging out with? I'm out of time, i got to close right there. Will you receive that message tonight, everybody? All right. All right. 
Next week, we're going to get a little, uh, a little down in the trenches a little bit. So all we've done so far, we talked about how Elijah got in the cave. Tonight, we talked about how Elijah got out of the cave. I want to take that message, and some of it will be a little redundant, but we're going to kind of dive a little deeper into some of those things. I hope you'll be here. Would you stand with me, and I will pray and let you be on your way.